Amen. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you, ushers. Don't they do a wonderful job? Absolutely, they do. So we've got a little bit to get through, um, but I just want to say I'm really excited about the new season we're entering into. Amen? We're about to enter into a, a, a campaign called Transformed, and we're going to talk a little bit. I'm going to talk a little bit about that before we kick off the message, and, uh, and then I'm going to introduce you to our guest speaker on the video, and he's going to talk to you a little bit about it as well. Is that okay? And, uh, and, then, and then we'll get into the message. So this morning is like an introduction week to Transformed. Now, what that means is it's time to get ourselves into gear, amen? We've got two weeks before the season launch officially with week one um, ha- happening. So on your seats, you would have seen one of these. If you've got one of these, just give me a wave with it so I can see that you've actually got it, which means if you're waving it at me, you're going to read it. Is that right? All right, awesome. So this is a little bit of an explanation around, and I'll talk about that a bit later on, but <clears throat> I'm really excited and really pumped for this. So today is like the two weeks notice that we're about to launch into this, and it's sort of like a, an introductory with a, a sense of a message that will help us position us for what we're about to encounter through the transformation, the 50 days of transformation, okay? So we'll, we'll talk a bit about that. And then, um, and then we'll put on a quick, it's not a quick video, it's a nine minute video. So don't fall asleep during the video. If you're already asleep, it's time to wake up, okay? Because you shouldn't be asleep in the presence of God, okay? So let's wake up, let's tune in because there's some things in here that, that you'll start to hear why we're running this as a campaign. And the team, they've been doing a fabulous job. And at the end of the campaign, we'll honour the team for doing such a great job in pulling this together for us, amen? So welcome to 50 days of transformation. Doesn't that sound like a long time? But doesn't it sound like a wonderful time at the same thing, at the same time? Like when we think about 50 days of transformation, think of the habits we're going to form as we read the Bible every day and as we read our devotion every day. Think of the habits that you're going to put into your life as you just ponder upon the things that God's talking to you about and even setting goals for what he's asking you to do. Think about the habits you're going to put into your life as you join a grow group and, and begin to explore and unpack the things of the grow group as we're learning. And then also think about the worship and think about what happens here on a Sunday as we celebrate what God's doing in our midst. Amen? So um, <clears throat> one of our key verses that will ultimately come out very a, a lot, I believe, through the series is Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2 is a really favorite of some of us. It's one of the the key scriptures to transformation. And Paul's actually talking to us about the renewal of our mind. Let me read it to you. It's it's this. It's, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We know that scripture. It's a beautiful scripture. But look at the things in there. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Jesus set us free from the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is like a prison cell that holds us in. And I had this conversation with a young man this morning. The pattern of this world is like being institutionalized in a a prison cell. Well, the, the day Jesus said it is finished and he gave up his spirit and died is the day that that prison cell broke open. It broke open by the sacrifice of Jesus and he set us free. But you realize that when you're institutionalized, it means you're conformed to a way of living. And there's many people in our world that don't realize that they're free. 
And faith is the very thing that sets us to walk in that freedom because faith gets us up off the bed of that prison cell and steps us into Jesus Christ and the ultimate of what he has for us and the purpose he has. So Paul's talking about here, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. In fact, the patterns of this world, while sometimes they look fun, they're actually a prison cell that keeps us hemmed in. And that prison cell is ultimately not a good place to be. So don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, is to say yes to Jesus, and I want to step into the fullness of what you have for me. Amen? So as we step into the fullness of what Jesus has, we walk out of the prison cell. That door can't be closed because it was opened by Jesus. We we step out of the prison cell and we walk into this mind renewal process of sanctification, which I talked about last week, if you remember rightly. So it's a really beautiful pattern that that is, 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 is unpacked in that imagery itself. Anyway, God has created us unique. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I mean, you don't look like me and I don't look like you. And I'm glad you don't look like me because it wouldn't be fun at all. But he's created us unique and God created you to be special. Is that true? God created you to be like nobody else. He put his gifts in you. He put the flair in you. He put your personality in you. He put um, the way you think and process things in you. He did all of this himself. He, He gave you a unique voice He gave you a unique thumbprint. He gave you a unique handprint. He gave you unique eyes, didn't he? Sometimes there's some really beautiful eyes out there. And and, and then God, he gave you even a unique heartbeat. God doesn't make clones. Do you know that? Only man can make clones and they've tried to do so. Well, God could do it if he wanted to, but he chooses not to. The clones that man make, they're not really good. They fall over pretty, pretty often. But God doesn't make clones. And, as, and God says, I want you to be unique, not conformed to anybody else's idea of what you should be. I want you to be unique. I want you to step into the fullness of your purpose. And that's an individual purpose that is connected to the life of the church. To see the kingdom of God advance. So, in fact, God is actually saying to us to not to be non-conformists. Isn't that interesting? At school, you might be told that a non-conformist is not a good thing because you're not conforming to society. But God doesn't want us to conform in that way. He wants us to be non-conformists in the context of not conforming to this world. Does that make sense? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So during this um, campaign, which will begin in a fortnight. It goes for seven Sundays, and, and there's those group times in there and the things that we're doing. During this, we're going to be looking at seven key areas of your life. And if you want to look at your, your handout this morning, there's your seven key areas of the life that we're looking to see transformation happen in. And let's go through them. The first one is transformation in your spiritual health. Wouldn't that be awesome? Transformation in your physical health. I need a transformation in my physical health. Yeah, But some of us need a transformation in our physical health because we need a healing. Because there's something going on in our bodies that is not right. And, and, and there could be a time in this season that you might learn God's purpose is in this and that he, he will set you free. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that as a statement of faith. 
You might be struggling with your heart. You might be struggling with, with your body. You might be struggling in an area of mental uh, illness. It doesn't matter. God's going to transform you and set you free. That's the third one is the mental health. That God's got a plan for your mental health. Emotional health. Some people struggle in this area. Actually, most of us do because we're all created emotional beings. So we need a transformation in our emotions to be set free from the things that are holding us back. Transformation in our relational health. What if, what if God restores some marriages that are on the edge of being broken down in this, in this time? What if God restores um, some people's lives so that they can actually uh, see that, someone, that they are worth loving and that they'll open the doors to see that they can step into a relationship that God has been talking to them about? You know, what if people just get engaged because there's a transformation in their relational health? Wouldn't that be awesome? Or, or what about this one? What if there's an explosion of pregnancies because there's a transformation in our relational healths, husbands and wives, you know what I mean, amen? Right, think about it. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah? Uh, Sarah wasn't too old, was she, hey? Woo. Sarah wasn't too old, 90 years old. So you're not too old for this one, all right? Anyway, moving on, there's two to go. Transformation in your financial health. Now, finances are one of those ones that we struggle with in church. We shouldn't. There's no way we should struggle with finances. We should talk freely about our finances because it's all a gift from God. So we're going to spend that whole week looking at finances so that we can be set free of all of the conformity issues that we might have. And they just see that, they, that, that, that there's a plan in God for your finances. And if you partner with God in those, then he'll bring transformation in your life. And, and I'm a walking testimony to that. Trust me, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. And then lastly, and, and I would never have said that, eh? Because I used to hate talking about money. Anyway, vocational health. You know, we all, most of us, a lot of us are working. And God wants to transform our vocational health. We say an amen to that. Maybe you own a business. Maybe you want to see a transformation around. Well, let me say, if you own the business, the transformation has to start with you. If you want to see a transformation in your business, it starts with you. Amen? If you want to see a transformation in your workplace, if you're working, then be like the bond servants and the slaves in the, in the New Testament that would treat their bosses as if they were Christ themselves. And you breathe the transformation. You be the change. Imagine if what God will do in your workplace if you can be that person. Amen? Anyway, I said I'd introduce you to our guest speaker. Here's a nine-minute video of uh, the, the, the writer of this program, Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church. Um, I just felt that it was probably good that Pastor Rick introduced the series to us. Is that okay? Awesome. We'll just, this will work. Watch. Now, I want to begin uh, this 50 days by explaining to you the big picture of what is a campaign, because some of you are new to Saddleback. And you're going, what is this? We do this every year in January and February. We'll do a 40 days of peace or 50 days of faith or 40 days of love and 50 days of your calling. And we, we do these over and over uh, once a year. We've done them almost every year. Saddleback invented this idea of a campaign. And I want to explain to you why we do what we do. The first reason is because we all learn differently. The person sitting next to you has a different learning style than you do. That's why, uh, you know, in school, you know, if you happen to have the learning style that school teaches, you're going to get straight A's in school. doesn't mean you're smarter than anybody else. It just means you understand how to do what they want you to do there. But I've known a lot of people who totally flunked out of school and are brilliant because there's lots of different kinds of intelligence. 
and there's lots of different kinds of learning styles and schools tend to only teach one style. So if you didn't do good in school, don't worry about it. Doesn't mean anything about your character, doesn't mean anything about your life. It just means you didn't fit that particular learning style of how to read something in a book and then write it over here. Some people are audio learners. learners. They're audible learners. They learn through the ear gate. They learn by listening. That's how they learn. They listen and they learn. Now, if you're an audible learner, you love church because this is the primary style we use at church. We're doing it right now. I'm talking, you're listening. You sit still while I instill. And if you're an audible learner and you learn through the ear gate, you love church and you're picking up stuff right now, you're already learning things as I talk to you. Others of you, it's going in one ear and right out the other because you're not an audible uh, learner. Some people say, no, I don't like to listen, but I like to read it or I like to see it. I'm a visual learner. And some of you are visual learners. You, You say, show me a movie about it. Uh, Let me see it in action. Let me read it. Let me watch it. And if you do that, you are a visual learner. And some people are visual learners. And they learn through art and things like that. Then there are other people who say, no, I don't like to listen. And I don't like to read. But I do like to talk. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a different learning style. And talkers are oral learners. And if you're an oral learner, you actually figure out what you believe by talking about it. And and if you're an oral learner, you love small groups. Why? Because in small groups, you don't just have to listen, you get to talk. And a lot of people, they actually figure out what they believe. They figure out their their convictions. They figure out their their beliefs, their theology, by actually talking it out. And their their brain doesn't really work unless they're talking. It kind of comes through their mouth And as you talk, that's how you form your concepts. And those of you who think that way know exactly what I'm talking about. So some are uh, ear ear learners, they're audible learners, and some are eye gate learners, they're they're visual learners, and some are um, oral, you learn through the mouth. But there are some people who say, I don't like to listen, and I don't like to read, and I don't like to talk. They're called men. Okay, can I get an amen from the men? Yeah, okay. Men tend to be kinetic learners. We learn through our hands. There's not a single guy who's ever learned how to play, a foot, play football by reading a manual on it. Not one. It's no, let's just go out and start throwing me some passes. Let's go out and, and shoot some hoops. Uh, let's go out and, and play catch. Uh, you know, let's go out and, and drive some golf balls. You learn by doing. And when there's a problem in your car, so let me get under the hood here, I'll figure it out. And uh, you know, here's a, the carburetor and I'll, I'll just, no, 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 I don't need a manual. What do you think? I'm a man, I'm not, just let me play around here, okay? Or you say, you know, I've got 50 wires coming into this uh, uh, audio system and uh, I, I need to figure out how to, I, I don't need a manual, I'll just play around with it. I'll figure out how to install this app. I'll figure out how to, how to, how to uh, boot up this computer. And you just do it by doing it. You learn by doing. All of these are appropriate styles. I got to thinking many, many years ago, what if we took all these styles and applied it to your spiritual growth? And what if once a year we used every style to teach the same truth? So you hear it in a sermon, you watch it on a video, you read it in a book, 
you talk about it in a small group, you do it in a project, and you memorize it in, in a verse. And that's called a campaign. And when we started doing these, I discovered that people in our church were growing like this enormously faster than if we just did a sermon series on it. Does that make sense? That we learn in different styles, and when you use all the styles, you learn faster. The other thing is that we learn better by reinforcement. If you only hear it, you're not going to remember it. Studies have shown, the U.S. Air Force did a study that shows that we forget 90 to 95% of everything we hear in 72 hours. Now, if you want a statistic to depress the average pastor, that's it. Because that means, you know, in, 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 in 72 hours, you will have forgotten everything I've just said. Unless you write it down. Which is why I never teach without one of these. Because this helps you remember. The shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. And when you take notes, you at least have something you can go back and look at. Which is why Saddleback always uses these. To help you remember. I'll tell you a funny story. There's a high school teacher here in the Saddleback Valley who will go unnamed, but he's been at Saddleback for many, many years. And he said uh, one day his teenage daughter and her friends had borrowed his car and they were going out for a joy ride and they got in an accident. And when she called, uh, and she said, Dad, I'm all right. So then once he was not afraid that they were injured, he knew they were okay, uh, he then started to get a little angry. Like, Why were you goofing off? Why did you ding up the car and you know smash in the front end and so he said he drove down to where the accident was and he was sitting on the um, sidewalk waiting for the triple a car to come and tow off his car and he said the longer I sat there the more my temper began to get more intense and he said I looked down in the gutter and there was a piece of paper floating along that I, I, I recognized and he said I pulled it out and it was a saddleback note and he said the title of the sermon was how to defuse your anger he said Rick does God really do that I said God really does and he, he pulled out he said watch this and he pulled out his wallet he had it had that note folded up he said I've kept it in my wallet ever since now for a couple years so we forget 95 percent in 72 hours so if you're not taking notes you're just forgetting it you may look real spiritual while I'm sitting here talking to you but you're not going to remember anything I say, ultimately. And, and that depresses me as a pastor because I spend a lot of time studying. You know, it takes me about 16, maybe 18 hours to uh, pre prepare a typical message. And uh, so uh, all week I'm studying a little bit every day and I'm gathering these little pearls of wisdom from God's word that I'm going to share with you. And then I get up here on the weekend and I say, Okay, you guys, here's my first pearl of wisdom from God's word. And I throw that pearl out and it comes out and just hits you on the head and goes boing and bounces right off. I say, here's another little pearl of wisdom. And I throw it out over here and it goes boing and it bounces right off. And you may look really good and you may even be saying amen or praise the Lord or wow, that's good. But it's going in one ear and out the next because you don't remember it. You could have sat under my ministry your entire life. Maybe you're 25 years old and you've been at Saddleback your entire life. You've forgotten 95% of what I've said. So we've got to figure out a way to increase that. And the way you increase it is multiple repetition. You hear it, you read it, you watch it, you talk about it, you do it. 
All, hear, read, study, memorize, meditate, all those things. And when we do all those things together for an intensive period of time, we call it a campaign. Does that make sense? That's where we're going in the next seven weeks. And this is going to be a very exciting time. Now. Oh, good. Rick just said that better than I ever could, so it's just easier to put the video on, amen? So you can understand now why we... We as a team have been wanting to do this with us as a church. It's, it's ultimately to see us growing up together. Amen? So we can all grow in the same direction, all at the same time that God may be glorified. Amen? So praise God for that. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into the Word, I believe. Let's throw that up there. So today, today, so everything today and the seven weeks of the campaign, their message is written by Saddleback Church. The message is written by Pastor Rick and his team there. And, um, and there's been a lot of thought and a lot of things to go in it. And they package it up so that churches can use it and utilize it without any problems. Does that make sense? So there's going to be a lot of things that I'm going to say that are actually from that church. But we've got to take what is being said and contextualize it for our setting. Does that, does that help? Because it's all, it's all spiritual concepts that, that's founded in the Bible and, and, and it's what God is saying to us in this season for us. So you could probably go on Google and find these messages and you might say, well, Pastor Steve said exactly that today. Well, I'm not apologizing for that. I'm just preaching it five years after he preached it because they did this in 2014. All right? But there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon tells us that. So I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to retract from something that someone else has said. I'm going to step into it so that we can all grow from it. Does that help us? So if it sounds like Pastor Rick Warren, then, then I'm probably speaking like Pastor Rick Warren, okay? But if it sounds like it really fits our context, then thank God for that and ask the Holy Spirit to help you implement it into your life, okay? And uh, that's the only thing I want to preface what we're about to say. So we're, going to, we're looking at this, this concept of uh, introduction because throughout the transformation series, there's going to be the challenge for us to set goals in every one of these areas. So a good way to introduce the series is actually with a practical message around setting personal goals by faith. Okay. So this is all about setting us up for the future. And a lot of the times we walk about problems and pressures in our life. This series is actually potentially um, the answer to help us get through some of these problem areas that just keep recurring in our life. And the, one of the ways we do it is we set goals so that we can grow up and grow into the, the call God has for us. So why is it important to change my life? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, it's important to be, realize that we should become like Jesus. And we've been talking about that in the last month leading up to today. So... It's important. I want to begin by giving you this morning six reasons why you need to learn how to set goals in your life. Six reasons. I've given you all a handout. Um, I've given one per couple, so you've got to share, okay? It's really good for you to share. If you don't have one, I'm sure someone can photocopy one quickly. Just say, hey, can I get a copy of that? Um, and it's just to help you like, like Rick Warren was saying there. Now, through the series, you'll all have a booklet, hopefully, if you're in a grow group, you'll all have a booklet to be able to write your notes in. This is just to get through today, okay? So number one, 
Why is it important to set goals in my life? Number one is goal setting. Goal setting is a spiritual responsibility. Number one, goal setting is a spiritual responsibility. God sets goals. He set goals in creation. He set goals for the expansion of the universe. God set goals in history. God set goals for eternity. His goals for eternity are that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. So he sets the goal of activating the church and getting it in motion so that that goal will be met. Okay, does that make sense? God sets goals. He sets goals even in your life. He doesn't just zap you and say, right, now, now you're fit for ministry. He actually has a plan to grow your life through the goals that he sets for your life. Jesus set goals. You don't necessarily read them, but if you read in between the lines, you can understand that Jesus set goals. One of his goals was that he was going to choose 12 people to sow his life into. And of that 12, he was going to spend particularly a little bit more time with three of them. He set a goal for Peter's life. Upon this rock, not Peter, but upon the confession of faith, I will build my church. He sets goals, okay? that you just got to see them in the context of this. Usually, Jesus set his goals in the uh, preparation time that he had in prayer with his father. He did that a lot, didn't he? He would withdraw and he would pray. Ultimately, to hear from the father... What is your plan? Understand the strategy to outwork it and then come out and say, I only do what my father tells me to do or I only do what I see my father do. Okay, so Jesus sets goals. Every person who walked with God in the Bible, you can find examples really quickly if you have a look, they all had goals. It wasn't just go from here to there. There was a process of actually getting there. What happens to the people of Israel is their goal became a 40-year process because they had to get sin out of their life, right? So we can actually hold up the goals and purposes of God by not actually setting goals for ourselves. Could you imagine if Moses sat down with all the leaders and was able to sit down and, and come up with goals to see that every person was walking righteously before God? Maybe they would not have wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Anyway, Philippians 3, 12 to 15 says this. This is Paul. I know that I am yet, I am not yet what God wants me to be. I haven't reached that goal, but I keep moving toward it to make it mine because Christ made me and saved me for this. I know that I haven't yet reached my goal. But there's one thing I always do. Forgetting the past and straining toward what is ahead, I keep my eyes focused on the goal so that I may one day win the prize that God has called me to receive through Christ in the life above. All of you who are spiritually mature should think this same way too. Isn't that interesting? Now, I'm sorry, for this verse I haven't found which version of the Bible he's using. But something that's really unique to Pastor Rick Warren is he will scan all of the types of versions to be able to see which one speaks about 
what he's communicating. And this one in this context is really Paul striving on, kicking on towards the goal. And we see it in what Paul's writing. You might be reading this now in your New King James or in your English Standard. You might be saying, it doesn't say goal. Ultimately, underneath all of that, this is exactly what it's saying. I strive on because what person, what person um, who, who... who hasn't been transformed by God is not striving toward the purposes of their life. So why is it important for you to set a goal? Because it's a spiritual responsibility. You're going to go through life either by design or default. So your life is either going to be mapped out by design or default. Either you're going to to set goals for your life to become the man or woman of God that he wants you to become, or you're going to default into something. My default is watching movies. What's your default? See, I'm a phlegmatic kind of character, right? Outside of Christ's purposes for my life, I'm a really laid-back kind of guy. But somewhere in there, God gripped my heart and brought a transformation that now I'm actually more towards setting goals and actually achieving for the kingdom of God. That's not something that has naturally happened. That is, God took me on a process to to be able to set these goals so that I would spiritually become mature. Ask Pastor Rod, 15 years ago, mate, I I hated sitting down and doing all this sort of stuff, didn't I? But I had to get purposeful or else the default of my life would have actually shipwrecked my faith. Does that make sense? My default was to relax, was to not worry about it. Don't panic. It's going to be okay. But the purpose for my life is so much more than my default. So I had to put some structures in and around to see that I would be designed the way that God wanted it to be designed in my life. I had to set purpose aside so that I could grow. And we're all on that same thing. If you don't have goals for your life, you are abdicating control of your life to somebody else. I'll say that again. If you don't have goals for your life, you are abdicating the purpose of your life to someone else or the control of your life to someone else. Don't abdicate it to the flesh. Right? Because the flesh is in partnership with the world. But line your life up with the design of the Spirit of God so that you can become all that God wants you to grow into. If you, have clear, if you don't have clear goals for your life, you're just coasting through life. You're drifting through life. And whenever you're coasting, you're always going downhill. True? Think about it. A car sits flat unless it's on a slope. If it's on a decline, it will roll. So if you're coasting through life, not using any of your brain power, not using any of the spiritual capacity God has put in you, not using your physical uh, talents and traits and, and the strength of your body, then, then you're not going to be going and growing in purpose for life. You're on default, and default is actually leading you to destruction. Okay? In your life, you will find destruction in many areas. So if you don't have goals for your life, you have already decided to let other people run your life because you don't know what's important So you're going to let them decide. Does that make sense? And and no more in the church because 
we're motivated by love, we're motivated by caring, all of these things, and therefore we get gripped to the noisy gate and the pull of, I need you, I need you, I need you. But the goals and the purposes actually set you up so that you can be effective in where God wants you to be effective while showing love to the people who need you. You've got to understand all of these things, and more of this will come out. The Bible says to be spiritually mature. He says all of you who are spiritually mature should think the same way, as it says up there in that passage of Philippians. Goal number two, or the reason we set goals, number two. Let's wonder. If the first one is so that we could what? Setting spiritual responsibilities. The second one is this. Goals are actually statements of faith. A goal in my life is a statement of faith. Goals, well, a lot of people think a goal, isn't that like a business thing? Don't we set this up in a corporate structure? Isn't that just secular? Isn't that just, you know, setting me up for, for a good good life and, or a good business or a good this or a good that? No. But isn't goals just something that athletes set themselves toward? You know, I think of that young lady in the news at the moment who's just been caught for doping. Whether she's innocent or not, she's 20 years old and this could ruin her life. She's had goals set in her life to become and achieve something for herself and for her country. And she's going to be stripped of that because of the stupid thing of doping. But like I said, I don't know if she's innocent. I don't know if she's guilty. But if she's guilty, then I think she's tried to take a shortcut without actually achieving the goals to help her get through. We don't want to set shortcuts, do we? So if goals are a statement of faith, they're a spiritual habit that we need to develop. And goals, remember this, are statements of faith. In other words, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you set a goal, what you're saying is, I believe, that is faith, that God wants me to accomplish such and such by such and such a time. God wants me to accomplish something by a certain time. Isn't that interesting? That's a statement of faith. A goal is a statement of faith. Because what I'm saying is this is what I believe God is going to do in my life. They don't, they're not just a statement of faith goals. Don't just think of that as all that it is. But they're also something that stretch our faith. The bigger your goal, the more your faith will be stretched. And you know what? When your faith is stretched, that pleases God. In fact, Romans 14 says it this way. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So if I'm going through life without any goals, I don't need to take any risks. And if I don't take any risks, I don't need any faith. And if I don't have any faith, I am being unfaithful. You see how important it is for you to have a goal in your life? When you're going along and being drifted just being drifted by the, the waves of the ocean, ultimately God is saying that is a sin. 
He's given us purpose. He's given us talents. He's given us intellect. He's given us all sorts of things to help us set the purposes for our life, to step into them, not only step into them for ourselves, but to achieve them for God's glory. Amen? Here's a stretching verse for us. This is in the message today. God can do anything, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or dare to request in your wildest dreams. If you want to read it in in the way that you hear it normally, my God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ever ask or can imagine. Hmm. My wildest dreams, what are they? God can do exceedingly abundantly. He can do more with my dreams when they are large than when they are small. God can do so much more. In fact, I think I can dream some pretty big dreams. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Considering where we've been and where we're going. I can dream some pretty big dreams. Can you? Because God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine But he uses goals to actually set these in place. Steps along the way that we achieve. Amen? Think about some of the dreams that we've set and how God has enabled us to achieve them. If we didn't set goals, we would never have achieved them. We set a goal or a part of our vision statement that we would be able uh, to, to set up ministries within the church that would assist our community. One of the steps to get there was that we started an outreach in Pioneer Park over here in Pioneer. That was a goal that would see that we would get connected with certain people in our community. That got us connected with some of the uh, some of the other in uh, what are they called services within our community. Getting connected with the services, God had a goal in that that would ultimately find its expression in beginning or taking over the ministry that we call Barnabas House. The goal process was ultimately to see that we would affect our community in the crisis area. And we were able to outwork these by putting small steps in place that a lot of people put a lot of effort into. And ultimately, we have seen that we've got this this resource over here that will ultimately grow into an amazing resource to see our community transform. That's one goal. And now we've got to go through this process with Barnabas House, setting goals and moving forward. We, we did the same thing. Pastor Rodney had a dream to start a school. But it's only a dream until you put some action steps to it. It's only a dream until you put some faith to it. So we stretch the faith and we begin to pray into that. We stretch the faith and we start to have conversations with particular people who know what they're doing. And ultimately, God led some people to Jesus through that. And now our principal was one of those people who helped us set up our school. Isn't that amazing? If we had never had the dream, we would never have put the goals in place. If we'd never had the goals in place, we would never have stretched our faith and we would never have had Verity Christian College right here. Isn't that amazing? So you can see how the process works and it stretches our faith every time we talk about it. It stretches us up to believe that God can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And it's all about God, amen? So over the next seven weeks, you'll be challenged to set goals in every area of the focus in transformed. Let me say to you, this will be faith-stretching 
Don't miss the opportunity to set the goals. Think about what can happen as God begins to speak to you and and train you in these areas. We've made many brave decisions, haven't we? All the way back from selling the little place up on uh, Benarambar Street to going in to hire a property and then eventually to build this property here. But there's more goals to be set. There's more faith stretching to be had. There's so much of a vision that God wants us to have. There's land to be bought. There's school is to grow. There's so much that will happen. You know, you don't want to ever sit down and ask, God, ask me what God's putting in my heart. It's a scary thought. But in the end, God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. We have to begin to start putting goals in place. If God's doing it for his church, can he not do it for you? We sang a song this morning that, that, that I'm a bit confused. God, you've got the stars in your one hand, but yet you've got my heart in your other. If God's got the church in his one hand, then surely he's got your life intricately woven into his. And he wants you to be successful in everything that you're doing as well. Amen? So faith stretching. We understand that, don't we? Big goal. Oh, sorry, let me say it this way. Big God, big goal. Tiny God, tiny goal. No God, no goal. Hmm, isn't that a stretching thought? How big is Jesus in your life? How big is Jesus in your life? So therefore we get this permission to start dreaming again. Amen? We must lift up our eyes and believe that he can achieve over and above any plan we can imagine. Setting goals sets us up to see these as statements of faith and faith pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So a goal is a faith statement. Therefore, you're partnering with seeing God move into your life. I remember a couple of years ago, we went to Hornsby for a state conference. And uh, there was a prophetic ministry team there. And the, the speaker's wife prophesied over Sarah and I. And she said, this is the words exactly, dream, dream, dream again. And I tell you what that did to me. It just blew my concept of what it was to dream in God. Have you, are you brave enough to begin to dream in God again? Dream in God. During the 50 days of transformation, I dare you to dream great dreams for your life. And you know what? Dreaming doesn't cost you anything, does it? Thinking about God's purpose for your life, it doesn't cost you anything. There's a joy in dreaming as you allow God to permeate your thoughts. But let me just highlight this. There is a difference between a goal and a dream. And what is that? It's called a deadline. It's time dated. When you take a dream and you set a goal, you don't just think sometime in the near future, you put a deadline on it. Because a deadline causes you to press into God. If your dream is bigger than anything you could ever imagine in yourself, then put a 20-year deadline on it and begin to work forward in that. Amen? Where's God want to lead you for your life? Does he want you to go to uni? Does he want you to do this? Think about those things. Put a deadline on it and go there. 
in faith. Matthew 9.29 says this, According to your faith will it be done for you. So this is the question. What goal will require me to have faith? So over the process of transformed, your grow group leaders, your hosts, hear from the pulpit, everyone else where they are, they'll be talking to you. Have you been setting goals for your life? Yeah. Why? Because we see that it's a faith-stretching exercise. Thirdly, moving through. Goals are my energy. They focus my energy. Goals are my energy. Goals, effectively, they focus my energy. They, they focus my energy for this purpose, to be effective. Who likes to be effective? Yeah? You don't like doing things just for the sake of doing things, right? Well, maybe if you do like doing things for the sake of doing things, maybe you sound a little bit phlegmatic like I did, right? Yeah, just playing games because they're there. You know, just, just sitting on the couch. Well, it's just there. It needs to be sat on, right? Of course, I'm making the goal of that couch fulfilled because it's, I'm sitting on that couch. No. We all love to be effective, right? It always feels good to achieve something, doesn't it? It does. It feels good. There's a payoff in seeing your energy focused and you're seeing that your life is becoming effective. So focus is the key to an effective life. It's not these 50 things that I dabble in. If you're dabbling in 50 things, you are way too stretched. Focus helps us to hone in on the things that God wants us to achieve in our life. Um, There's a book that I was encouraged to read, and I haven't read the book, but I've done a little bit with it. It, it, Is it Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Covey? Yeah? Um, There's seven things in there that he challenges on to put, you know, weight on in the set of goals. So for me, one of them is my family. If I don't value my family, then I'll lose my family. Yeah? So if I look at my family and I see that I'm not fulfilling a need or a purpose in their life, then I've got to actually think about what I'm doing and how I can be more effective in that. Is that right? So that I can help meet the need that they have, that they need a father or a husband or someone that they can come to and speak. So if family is one of my values then I'll put goals to it that I'll see when I'll achieve so that my family will flourish. It's the same in our area. The energy, the focus that we put our focus on, it, it, it tunes our energy so that we can achieve that goal. And goals do that. They focus our energy. Amen? So it's not the 50 things that you're good at. It's actually focusing on what God wants you to focus in on. So for me, one of them was family. One of them was this church. One of them that I'm really failing in is my time. Okay, Why? Because I value the others more. So I've set more goals for the other one because I don't necessarily think that I should default into the, my time. So last night, we spent a bit of my time. Sarah and I, we went and watched a movie. All right? Why? Because it's a value of my life. And I, if I don't do it, I'll go mad. So I put a little bit of focus into my energies and my goals, they become 
So light is like this. If you focus your life, it's going to be powerful. It's going to be strong and it will change the world. Light diffused has no power at all. Is that right? Other than to light a room. We had one light in here and all the rest would turn off. As that light passes through that diffuser, it might light up that little space, but the rest of this space would be dark. The light diffused has not a lot of power. But when you focus light, it has enormous power. Is this true? I'm looking around for people that I can pick on, and that is those of you, mainly boys, who grew up with a magnifying glass going around burning ants. Yeah? I've got a couple of head shakes over here. I'm sure there's a couple of nods over here as well. You know, it's a really fun thing to focus or to harness the power of the sun through a very small piece of glass and chase ants with it, isn't it? It's a fun thing to do, but that's focusing and harnessing the power of light, isn't it? And it does something. It burns. Have you ever held it over your hand? It burns, doesn't it? I've seen someone light paper up with it because the sun was so strong. But that's what the glass does. It focuses the light so it becomes powerful. That's what focus does in our life when it comes to setting goals. We focus on the goal, we're able to see that it's achieved. It becomes more powerful than not having a goal. Okay? Is this helping anyone? By focusing on these things, it's helping. So when you take light and you, extr- you, you really focus, focus the light, then you go from like the sun through a magnifying glass, you go to a laser. And our laser's really cool. Yeah, lasers cut steel, right? Or lasers can be used to target cancer. Yeah? So it's the focus of that light which causes it to be effective in what its purpose is for. This is what focus can do in your goals. Your goal sets you up to focus your life and therefore channel the power of God into seeing your goals achieved. Now remember, I'm not talking about just the goals for your life and setting you up for the future that you would have a big inheritance to pass on your kids. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about goals that are helping you be effective in the entirety of your life, inclusive of that, but it's not the one focus, is it? Which is why we're going to look at seven different weeks. So goals, they focus my energy. Amen? So when you focus these things, you can start a fire, you can cure cancer, all this sort of stuff. But you see, the world is full of distractions. This is one of the enemies against my focus, isn't it? You can get distracted too easily. Run down a little rabbit hole chasing this or chasing that. It's too hard. Number two, one of the distractions of my, of my focus is um, that you don't have time for everything. And you can actually beat yourself up with guilt. True? You can beat yourself up with guilt to say, I haven't got much time to be able to do this. I've got to move on. Number three, another enemy to my my focus is um, that sometimes I think only a few things really matter. Or uh, um, let, me, let me put that in a different way. If we don't focus our energy, then we will think everything matters. If we focus our energy on what God's saying to us, then those things which are important to us will matter. And because they're important to us, they matter to God. So when there's, when there's no focus to our life, 
we can become overwhelmed by the vastness of the problem. Hmm? But when we're focused to the things that God is saying to us, we're able to become effective in the things God has for us. Amen? So the secret of your effectiveness is your focus. I like this one, 1 Corinthians 9, 26. I do not run without a goal. I fight like a boxer who is hitting something, not just hitting the air. There's a couple of boxers here in the room in there. I wanted to box someone last week. I'm glad you guys weren't here. You might have jumped up here and got me. You know, Paul wasn't just playing around, was he? Paul wasn't just playing around. He wasn't just there beating the air because he thought he could. He wasn't just doing the whole Rocky thing, running up the stairs. And... No, Rocky took that focus and he put it into the ring where he knocked his opponents out. Paul does exactly the same thing. I'm not just hitting the air, but I focus what I'm doing. He says, I'm not playing around here. In other words, I'm not playing guitar hero. Right? For our guitar teacher in the house, we're not just playing on the buttons, we're practicing the strings. We're practicing the chords. We're learning the things of the guitar. Why? Because if we don't practice it, we'll never ever master it. All right? So it's the same thing. We put our focus into our goals. You want to learn guitar? You've got to practice. I'm sorry, you've just got to do that. So let's move on. This is what Paul's saying. I don't just box the air. I fight to win. Right? Are we fighting to win today? When I run a race, I run to win. I'm not messing around here with my life. It's too important. I'm going to do something with my life. I'm going to win. Imagine that on your tombstone. Here lies so-and-so. They were winners or they were a winner. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing to have, you know? Could you imagine how they just boxed the air on there? That's, that's boring. How they fought to win. Come on, that's a good one. I think that's awesome, you know? So to God be the glory in that, amen? It's not about us, it's about God. Point number four. I said there's six, so we'll get to number four. Goals, they keep me going. Is that right? Goals keep me going. They give me hope to keep moving forward. They give me hope to endure. They give me hope to persist. If you don't have any goals in your marriage, can you imagine what it would be like when challenges came? If you had no goals to say that I want to cherish my loved one with all of my heart and that we by this time we want to have this happening in our life and this happening in our life and I'm going to put my efforts and focus into making sure that my marriage is the best it can be. If I don't have those goals in my life, then when the challenges come, then my marriage could separate and end. We've got to set these things in our life because challenges, they come in our life. But when we, when we see these goals as keeping me going, they give me hope, they give me endurance, they give me persistence, amen? Without a goal... We wouldn't have any reason to get out of bed. We hear of those in the Cert 3 yesterday. They heard that um, Ezekiel laid in bed for 430 days and didn't move. How boring would that be? As a demonstration of waiting on God 
430 year, uh, uh, days sitting in a bed, not moving. Maybe he was waiting for a goal for his life, eh? Job 6.11 I do not have the strength to endure. Has anyone ever said that before? I do not have the strength to endure. I can't keep going. I can't even get up. I do not have a goal that encourages me to carry on. We all know the story of Job, how challenged he was. But we all know the answer that God gave him. I'm sovereign in this. How about I be your goal? Isn't that a good one, I reckon. So goals, they keep me focused. It's believed that the survivors of the Holocaust, and I I could talk about this a little bit, but I just want to just highlight one little point. It's believed that the survivors of the Holocaust, those that got through those camps and were found, you you can probably start to see the images that I'm talking about, is believed that those who actually survived through all of that, where they weren't obviously had their lives taken from them, but they had to endure the hardships of being starved and all that sort of stuff that went on, believed that that which kept them focused, every one of them had a focus that they were waiting to get out to achieve, whether it was the connection of family, whether it was the, 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 um, the connection with the work that they had, or, or the survivors, those who got through and didn't perish were the ones that had a goal that focused them to achieve, to endure, to, to have hope that God or someone would break them through it free. So long-term goals, they keep me from being discouraged by short-term setbacks. If you're going through something in your life, if you're being challenged in a particular area, if you can't find the way out, then maybe you need to reconnect with the dream and a goal that God has attached to your life. And this is where it's going to be really powerful for us as a church, isn't it? Yeah? Because the goal will help us understand and unpack that we can live a life of transformation because it helps us to endure through the struggle. God's got a better plan than what I'm in at the moment. God wants me to achieve these things. He's given me the grace to overcome. And, and all of a sudden, that which is tearing me apart doesn't tear me apart anymore because my hope is found in Jesus. You know, goals don't have to be that big to be motivating. They don't have to be that big to be motivating. For a person who's in bed, who's just had a knee operation the first goal that they need to set is that they would be able to sit up on their own. For that same person, the next goal once they sit up on their own would be that they might be able to move to the side of the bed without assistance. A person that, that same person with their leg in such pain, the next goal for them might be that they might be able to stand with assistance. But ultimately, they're getting to that next goal, which is that I might be able to make it so that I can go to the bathroom myself. Wouldn't that be an awesome goal if you're laying in bed and you can't move? You don't get there unless you get, you've got a bigger plan. So ultimately, they want to get home. Ultimately, they want to get their life back in the way that they need to be free and living. So little goals can set us in motion Little goals can set us in the motion so that we can start to achieve the bigger goals in our life. If you're discouraged, then maybe you need to set a bigger goal to reconnect with the hope 
of the world. Number five, goals build my character. Drifting doesn't build your character, but goals build your character. If you set a goal and you get a vision, without a vision, the Bible says my people perish. Is that right? If you get a vision, you get a goal, then God says I can work with you and in you. I'm going to read this because I want you to hear it. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. The greatest benefit to your life over the goals you're going to set in the next 50 days, sorry, the biggest benefit of them, of those goals, is not necessarily the goals you're going to set. It's not going to be the accomplishments that you achieve. And it's not going to be the achievements you require through setting these goals. The most important thing that you can get from setting a goal happens inside of you as you work towards seeing those goals outward. The most important thing and the reason that you are to set the goals of your life is so that God will see your faith and say, this is someone I can partner with and begin to build your character. Not from a place that... You're going to say, oh, I'm going to overcome this in my life. I'm going to, I'm going to do this because it's wrong because someone told me it's wrong. No, because from the inside out, your character will develop because God will want to see everything in your life changed and transformed so that you can achieve the goals that you set in faith. That's the most important thing. God wants to build your character. Amen? It's not what you achieve in the process, but what you become in the process. God is more interested in your character than your accomplishments. Amen? So while you're working on your goal, God is working on you. Sounds like a pretty fair deal to me. And you know what? It's not your goal that will last for eternity. It's your character that will last for eternity. You don't take your achievements with you when you pass from this life to the next, but you definitely take your character with you. And that's why it's so important to God. Amen? So goals help build your character. Lastly, oh no, there's a, there's a scripture here. Philippians 3.12, I keep striving toward the goal. We've read all of... Philippians 3, 12 to 15 before. But Paul says this, I keep striving toward the goal. You'll never become what God intends you to be without intention. Striving takes energy and it takes purpose. Amen? So by striving in God, God's building your character. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, let love be your highest goal is the next one there. Oh, no, I'm on the wrong page. You'll never become the man God intends you to be unless you intend to become the man, that man. You'll never be the woman God intends you to be unless you intend to be that woman. Amen? We've got to see this, that goal setting is really important. Ten years from today, some of you sadly may not be in this church. You're going to be a long way from God. 
You're going to go through a, feel, a failed marriage, maybe. You're going to have all kinds of problems in your life, possibly. Why? Because of your intention. Maybe you never intended to be the man of God he called you to be. Maybe you never intended to become the woman of God that he has called you to be. Maybe you've approached Christianity with some form of casual um, attendance that maybe today I'm a Christian and tomorrow I'm playing in the world. Intentions and goals set us up so that we can, not, so that we can overcome failure in our life and walk in victory. But when we're not being intentional, then God's not able to build our character. Amen? And maybe it just puts pressure on a marriage. Maybe it puts pressure on who you are. Maybe you run from church because you're not being the intentional purpose, person that God wants you to be. So remember this, goals build your character. And the last point for today, good goals will be rewarded. Good goals will be rewarded. If you have good goals, there's going to be two um, what did I write there? ways that you are rewarded. You're going to be rewarded on earth by people and you're going to be rewarded in in heaven by God. When you have good goals, it brings respect. True. When you have good goals, it brings honor. True. When you give your life to a good goal, it builds a legacy here on earth. Proverbs 11.27, hear this from this perspective. If your goals are good, you will be respected. That's here in this place, in this world. Set good goals. You will be respected. But the real reward lasts forever. The real reward lasts forever. 1 Corinthians 9.25, all athletes practice self-control or strict self-control. They do it to win the prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. You see that in the New Living Translation. Not every goal is a good goal, True. Not every goal is a goal that God blesses. So we've got to be open to the leading of God. And we've got to see that our goals will reward us in heaven as well. So what kind of goals does God bless? In finishing today, we need to talk these really quickly. We need to say, what kind of goals does God bless? Three simple questions that we can ask as we're setting our goals. And this will help you leading into the month, uh, the two months ahead. Will this goal honour God? This is the first question to ask. What kind of goal brings God glory is a question that we can ask. Will this honour God? Any that causes you to love Him more, trust Him more, serve Him more is a good goal. Amen? 1 Corinthians 6.20 God paid a great price for you, so use your body to honour God. Are you using your body to honour God? Or are you using your body for pleasure? Interesting question. For selfish reasons, use your body to honour God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 When you eat or drink or do anything, always do it to honour God. So will this goal honour God is the first question we must ask. Must ask. Why? Because a right attitude equals gratitude. Is that right? You should ask our students from Verity about that. They're learning about gratitude at the moment. 
right motivation will always bring honor to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says we make it our goal to please him. In other words, we make it our goal to please Jesus. The second question to ask is this. Is this goal motivated by love? Is this goal motivated by love? See how you can overcome the, 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 the desire to set selfish goals? The first one is, does it honor God? The second one is, does it come from a motivation of love? has to come from this perspective does it come from the motivation of love so when you set goals for your finances for your health for your relationships ask is this goal made it motivated by love don't let greed or ego competition guilt envy materialism influence your goals that was god's motivator in bringing jesus wasn't it for god so loved the world that he gave Isn't that interesting? God had a goal right from the beginning to see every man, woman and child set free in Christ and back in the place of innocence. And in setting that goal, he outworked his plan throughout all of history until the very time Jesus came from the motivation of love. Amen? So 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says... It's missing up there. Everything you do must be done with love. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Let love be your highest goal. That was that one there. Lastly, will this goal require depending on God? Will this goal require depending on God? If God, if you can do it without God, then it's not a godly goal. It must stretch your faith to step into something that God has purpose for your life. If you can do the goal that you're setting without God, then it's not big enough. Okay? Set a goal that means means that you need to run to Jesus to be set free. Amen? Proverbs 16.9 We plan the way we want to live, but only God makes us able to live it. It's in the message version. In closing, three action steps for you. Three things to think about as we go into transformed. Firstly, I need the Spirit of God to empower me. I need God's Spirit to empower me. Zechariah 4.6 says this, You will not succeed by your own strength or power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. You will not Achieve your goals alone or separated from God. Understand that. Jesus will empower you by his spirit. Secondly, I need God's word to guide me. Joshua was given the goal to possess the promised land. Amen. He read in Joshua 1.8, Keep this book of the law he wrote this keep this book of the law on your lips recite it by day and by night that you may carefully follow all that is written then you will successfully attain your goal and lastly we need god to empower us by his spirit we need god's word to guide us and we need god's people to support us you can't achieve your goals in isolation separated from the church of God, you cannot achieve 
God's purposes for your life external to his church. Ecclesiastes 4.12 By yourself, you're unprotected. But with a friend, you can face the worst. And a group of three is even better because a rope braided with three strands is not easily snapped. The message version today. So if you're not in a group for our Transform series, let me encourage you this morning, find a group. You can't do it alone. You can't do it without God's Word, and you can't do this without God's Spirit. Amen? Stand to your feet as I pray for you, and Pastor Jamie will come and finish our service. Father God, we thank you today in the name of Jesus, our Saviour, our Lord, our brother, our friend. We thank you that within this message, there has been an encouragement to draw closer to you. We ask, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, you will help us to set goals in our life that will see us transformed into who you want us to become. We ask, Lord, that maybe for some of us, the goal of being able to join a group is something that we can achieve in action even today. We pray, Lord God, for those who are unable or have been unable to join, that today by your Spirit you will ask them and convict them and bring them to a place to say, hey, I'm in, I want to grow in Jesus in this time. We thank you for our hosts, each of those who have put up their hand. We thank you for the 26 plus groups that we have, 20 of which have started afresh and new. We thank you, Lord God. This is a miracle. And we ask that you would bless our hosts, bless their home. Lord, I ask that you would put your spirit upon their house, that those who would come into their home would encounter peace. And Lord, today I would ask that you would help us in this period of time to set the goals that you have called us to step into, to stretch our faith and to rely upon your Holy Spirit. To, to come up with big, hairy, audacious goals that we must trust Jesus in. Grow our faith in Jesus' name we pray. Now, would you pray this with me? Why don't you pray along? God, I give you permission to change whatever needs to be changed in my life. God, I ask, that you would use the seven weeks to permanently transform my life. May my life be the best life it could ever be.